will stand out there in the shadows, fellow humans. Come and sit by my fire. Welcome, or welcome back to ASMR, the only true crime podcast with an ASMR twist. I, of course, am your humble host, The Gru, and it has been entirely too long since our last meeting. It is, of course, that time again. What time, I hear you say? Why, time to unravel rampant, reprehensible, and sometimes rustic tales about old murderers you might or might not know, and their unfortunate victims. Why, grew you emotionally elaborate, emotive, and embryophyte, I hear you say. What tragic, tumultuous, and turbulent tales do you have for us today? What a well-dressed question, you gentle elemental you. Today's terrific torrid tale takes place far from here, a national reserve in East Africa to be more specific, where an English woman died and people tried to cover it up. That's right fellow humans, we are taking yet another trip across the big pond, this time to the wilds of Africa, and you might have heard of our unfortunate victim. Today we'll talk about Julie Ward, a lady that went missing shortly before returning to her home. There is a certain bravery that I associate with people who are courageous enough to chase their dreams. When their dreams take them far from all they've known to other places, unfamiliar places, places far from home. There is a certain magic there. Today's unfortunate victim was one of that ilk. But unlike some, her story ended in tragedy. It is to today's brave soul and others who find magic in throwing caution to the wind to chase their dreams that we dedicate today's story. May their voices be heard tonight. So without too terribly much more ado, we are taking it to Africa and just remember, there's nothing that a hundred men on Mars could ever do. This is episode 23, the story of Julie Ward. Content warning. Today's episode contains graphic content not suitable for some audiences, which include descriptions of a dead body, dismemberment, and sexual assault. This under discretion is therefore advised. Now I know you are wondering the same thing I am, fellow humans. Just who was this Julie Ward? Well, Julie was born on April 20th, 1960, to British parents John and Jan, who also had two sons. When she became an adult, her job was to be a publisher's assistant in Suffolk, England. It was a 15-hour-a-day job, and she felt stressed, as any of us would, having to put in 15-hour days. Ward loved photography. Specifically, she loved to photograph wildlife. She loved it enough that she took a break from everything at 28 years old just to do what she loved the most. For this story, we need to go back to 1988. Julie Ward went on a long trip to get away from her job for a while to photograph wildlife in Kenya, Africa. But just a week before she would return home, she made one last journey just to never come back. In February 1988, Ward left England to go on a seven-month trip to Kenya, staying in the capital of Nairobi. 
and in September she left the city to go to Maasai Mara Game Reserve, wanting to photograph the great annual wildebeest migration, in which enormous herds of wildebeests, gazelles, and zebras travel across Tanzania and move through the Serengeti and Maasai Mara. Ward wasn't alone, yet it didn't really change her fate. She was with her Australian friend, Glenn Burns, driving a Suzuki Jeep that broke down during their trip, to which Burns returned to Nairobi, while Ward stayed the night on her own at the Mara Serena Lodge while the vehicle was getting repaired. On September 6th, the next day after the Jeep broke down then got repaired, Ward drove towards the Sand River camp she had been staying at with her friends to gather her camping equipment and this was the last time she was seen alive. Later that day, Ward was reported missing. As soon as he could, Ward's father, John, took a flight to Kenya, a place he had never been to, just to check what was going on and if his daughter was alright. John paid for five airplanes to find Julie around where she was last seen. Her Suzuki was spotted in a gully on the north side of the Elawana Sand River, with SOS written on the roof in mud. Simon Makala, the Mara's head game warden, was informed about the discovery and soon went to where the jeep was alongside the police inspector, Anthony Mwara, who instructed two officers to remove Julie's personal possessions from the vehicle and take them to the Sand River police post just to keep them safe. On September 13th, her body was found about 10 miles away, or, well, what remained of it. Ward's father himself was the one to find her jaw and lower left leg, which were both burned and hidden in the bushes near a tree in the Maasai Mara Reserve. Originally, a pathologist said that Julie had been murdered, yet the report was changed to say that she had been killed by wild animals, and later on, John was told that his daughter had been struck by lightning, which seemed a bit on the far-fetched side. And you know what that means, fellow humans. Smells distinctly of a cover-up, doesn't it? A British pathologist also investigated what had happened and came to the conclusion that Ward had been mutilated with a machete just to be doused in petrol before being set on fire. Here's hoping that she was not conscious for either of those events. And so, just like it happens with any strange death, theories were born. Some people said that she was killed by the son of a politician that she was having an affair with, while Kenyan police claimed that Julie had committed suicide. Ah, yes, suicide. The rumor mills. Whipping boy. Anyway, the investigators were reluctant to call the death a murder, and so there was no murder investigation, which made John Ward accuse the Kenyan government of wanting to cover up the crime to favor the tourism industry. See, I told you I smelled a cover-up. As a result of getting no clear answers about what had happened to the woman, her father launched an investigation of his own. As time went by, he made over a hundred trips to Kenya and spent more than a million dollars in search of what truly happened to his daughter. It took more than a year for the Kenyan police to classify this death as a murder. Later that year, two new Scotland Yard detectives flew to Kenya from the UK to investigate, led by then-head of anti-terrorism squad John Yates. 
They were invited by the Moy regime to investigate and they theorized that two junior game wardens were culprits. The theory was that Julia had left the main road when she was returning to Nairobi and got stuck in the mud, only to be found by the suspects, John Marigal and Peter Kipping. Kipping's semen was found on Warden Burns' sleeping bags, and allegedly, the two men held Julie captive for five days to rape her and later on murder her. Mr. Ward disputed Scotland Yard's investigation, and soon an inquest into her death was set up. Through his advocate, Brian Georgiadis had claimed that Julie never left Sand Camp on September 6, 1988. He alleged that she was raped and murdered at the camp on that day, and he said that his chief suspect was Makala. The investigators believed that the game wardens were the killers, but after being trialed in 1992 in Kenya, they were acquitted due to lack of evidence. On July 17, 1998, Makala was arrested and charged with Julie's murder, but he was also acquitted in 1999 because there wasn't enough evidence to prove that he was guilty. In 2004, a former Kenyan intelligence officer said that he saw Ward's murder, saying in an anonymous interview that three men on the reserve gang raped and murdered the woman without mercy. According to this witness, the woman had been forced to drive her jeep miles away from the Sand Camp River to hide it away strategically. Then, Julie was forced to draw an SOS mark on the sand as if she had gotten into an accident and needed help. The officer had been too afraid to do anything and was still too scared to come forward outside of talking anonymously with the newspaper. Later on, after spending over 30 years investigating, John Ward is sure that his daughter was killed by the son of the Kenyan president. Back when Julie died, his suspect was Jonathan Moy, but he feels like people are helping the Kenyan government to cover up the murder, as something always blocks the investigation one way or another, like it tends to happen in these kinds of cases. John continues fighting for justice even now at 87 years old, saying that he's trying to solve the murder before passing away. Moy said that he wasn't near the crime scene at all, and said it in a police statement which officers believed. Yet, John Ward found out about someone that said that this statement was untrue, and he had evidence. The witness was trembling with fear when he went to talk with John. He claims that Moy and his friends were drunk, and they saw Julie when she stopped to take photographs of the wildlife near the Serena Lodge. The witnesses said that Moy raped Ward while his companion stopped farm manager Ibram Koji from stopping Moy. Since then, Koji stopped working for the Moy family, even though he was married to President Moy's daughter and died ten years later in a road accident. John suspects that only happened because Koji threatened to expose Moy, and Koji's father also suspects that his death was a murder and that police were covering it up. John sent all the information he found about the case to Scotland Yard, yet they did nothing. He also believed that the previous suspects were just scapegoats to blame someone else for not publicly investigating the true culprit. John dug out a latrine near the crime scene to look around for anything that the killer might have discarded there, and he even stored DNA evidence in his own freezer, then tracked down the jeep that his daughter had been using when she had died as it had been driven by the killer. But things aren't always as simple as they seem.
Local police had evidence scrapped before John could ship it back to the UK. During an inquest in 2004, there was a claim that there had been a cover-up to protect Julie's murderers. Adele Shaker, a Kenyan government pathologist, told the hearing his boss had doctored his first report and he was forced to sign other false reports. He also heard how MI6 had been in contact with Kenyan police within days of the murder. An agent admitted he could not explain the involvement of the Secret Intelligence Service, but was denied it was part of the cover-up. A separate report by John Stoddard, later Chief Constable of Durham, accused Kenyan police of being brazen, deceitful, and dishonest. In 2008, John used the Freedom of Information Act to obtain a report compiled in 2004 for Lincolnshire Police. It criticized Scotland Yard, the Foreign Office, and the British High Commission. This is what was written about the FCO and the British High Commission. Quote, There is clear evidence of inconsistencies and contradictions, falsehoods and downright lies, and it is this that has not surprisingly led to John Ward believing that there was an act of conspiracy to prevent him identifying his daughter's killers. End quote. Scotland Yard rejected any and all suggestions that said a conspiracy was going on, saying that the Met decided to suspend the investigation in 2018, and they had informed the Ward family about that. In the late 80s, Moy was considered a stable influence in a volatile place such as East Africa, yet corruption flourished greatly, and the economy stagnated after a long reign of 24 years. John Ward knew that the English government decided to support Moy in order to not destroy any diplomatic relations that Kenya had with the UK, hoping that the case would be forgotten as time went by, but John still keeps fighting for justice and wants his daughter to be able to finally rest in peace. John is a determined person in search of truth and justice, and that's to be admired, honestly. So what do you think, fellow humans? Do you think that Moy was the true culprit? As I said earlier, this whole tale reeks of cover-up and conspiracy. No, I think that Moy was likely the culprit. I don't think this was a suicide. I don't think any animal did this to her. Here's the part where I say, ah, but aren't humans animals? Are we not the most dangerous animal? Able to not just kill for food, but for sport? Even to the point of annihilation? We've done it before, haven't we? John also said that he had been contacted by filmmakers affiliated with Netflix in order to make a 10-part series of Julie's story, and he said that perhaps this was way too much information for only 10 episodes, and I think he's right. How does one relegate the life of a loved one to just 10 one-hour-long episodes? How do you express the love, the accomplishments, and worry? You do it like you tell all tales. Tales like this one. You do it one word at a time. Who knows? Perhaps Netflix will get it right and tell the tale to its very end. Well, well, well. I believe the worst of the storm is past and the sun will soon come up. You know what that means, don't you, fellow humans? It means that I must rest and you, you must go your way. Miles to go before you sleep, and miles to go before you sleep, eh, fellow humans? But wait, before the sun comes over the hills and we part ways, fellow humans, let me ask you, 
Do you happen to know about any other obnoxious, obscure, one-of-a-kind stories that you'd be interested in knowing about? Anecdotes? Narratives? Stories that make you tense up and start analyzing all that surrounds you to feel safe? Yeah? Well, if so, consider letting me know with a comment in any of my socials, like my YouTube or my personal website. Remember to hit that bell to not miss any new content from my channel. You can usually find me here at 6 a.m. Eastern on Mondays, though you must remember that sometimes life gets in the way. I may be late, but just wait by the crossroads. I'll find you. Or maybe you'll find me. That was episode 23 of ASM Murder. If you want to catch up on any episodes you missed, or if you just want to hear more of me in general, you can go to my website at murderpod.net. That's M-U-R-D-E-R-P-O-D dot net. You can also find my podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. I'll leave links in the description. If you enjoyed what you heard, I'd love to hear your thoughts, or, well, read your comments anyway. By the way, I want to give a shout-out to Baron of Belco. Epic name, my first YouTube subscriber. Thanks for the sub, brother. Want me to give you a shout-out? Come subscribe on my YouTube. I'm working on getting more episodes uploaded. Thank you for lending me some of your time. Time is a precious gift. We must never squander it. May yours be filled with love and light. Until next time, please be kind to yourselves. Be good to each other. Take care. This is your friendly neighborhood crew. Signing off.